So, <clears throat> as a church, we've just come off of a week of uh, prayer and fasting. And these topics have sort of been the, the center points of most of our discussions, our teachings, and messages during this time. And we've talked about what the purpose of fasting is and how it draws us closer to God through deprivation of like a physical need or desire. And that by removing carnal means or enjoyments, we tend to venture deeper into the spiritual. And this is good, and it's, it's necessary to do fairly often. Not just once a year. And a lot of times that's what happens is, is we get into sort of a ritual, if you will. But fasting is something that we ought to do normally, especially when things maybe are tougher in our lives, when, you know, we need to go to God and get rid of all the distractions and just focus on Him and let Him deal with our hearts. So then we committed ourselves to pray more and to pray together. You know, more prayer is always helpful as it, uh, it leads us to focus more on God, more on His will for us. And it helps us to address things that we need to let go of in our lives. You know, there's a quote by Leonard Ravenhill that Pastor Brian often uses and, and that, you know, has always stuck with me. A praying man stops sinning and a sinning man stops praying. And so as long as we're in prayer, as long as we're in communion with God, as long as we're connecting with Him regularly and walking with Him regularly, what ends up happening inevitably is the sin in our lives dissipates. It lessens. It becomes less of an issue, and our focus becomes more on Him. So we hope and pray that if you did participate in this time of prayer and fasting, that you experienced a deeper level of intimacy with Jesus, as well as personal breakthrough, freedom, identifying things that needed to be addressed, maybe some dark places that you've never ventured before. So I want to share a story with you from Scripture. And it's, uh, it's from Matthew chapter 4. And it's essentially... Jesus, right after he goes off and gets baptized, he's about to begin his earthly ministry, and he goes off into the wilderness, and he fasts and he prays for 40 days. Seems like a long time, doesn't it? Some of us had a hard time pulling off a week or a few days. Jesus goes off to start his ministry for 40 days and 40 nights. So, this portion of scripture is also called, or often called, the temptation of Jesus, and it goes like this. It says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. No shocker there. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be bred. And Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up 
so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus says to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I'll give you if you just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to serve him. It's called the temptation of Jesus because during this time in the wilderness, Jesus was under heavy attack from Satan himself. Satan knew what was to come and he was trying as hard as he could to put a stop to it. And he wanted to derail Jesus. So amidst these attacks, I want us to take a a closer look at how Jesus prevailed, how Satan failed. He could have done a number of things to overcome the enemy. I mean, after all, even though he was fully man, he was also fully God. But what he did was he demonstrated to us how to overcome the spiritual attacks that often come at us through the means that we have already been given. I always uh, refer to this verse because I have to remember often that God will always, always provide a way out for us under temptation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And I love that because Jesus... In this portion of scripture of Matthew 4, he actually shows us these spiritual escape hatches. He recites scripture. He reminds himself, as well as the enemy, what the word of God says and the promises of God says. You know, I, I, I do a lot of counseling, and one of the things that I talk to people about is this. You know, we can't win a spiritual war with carnal measures. It's just not possible. And that's why we fail. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, it says, The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And I think we often underestimate the power of these spiritual weapons that we possess. When temptation or trouble comes our way, we tend to try to fight these battles, as I said, through these carnal means, and then we lose these battles because of that, time and time again. See, these troubles often overwhelm and overcome us because we don't even attempt to fight them with the weapons that we're equipped with. And I want you to imagine with me for a second if there was a, a platoon of soldiers on a battlefield... They're up against this really well-equipped army that was throwing everything they had at them. And this platoon was even more well-equipped than this opposing army with much more powerful weapons, but instead they just pull out a slingshot or something just as ineffective against this heavy artillery. We'd think, wow, that's crazy. We'd read about them in history books and we'd think, 
Well, that was stupid. You were annihilated. And we'd obviously know why. There'd be no mystery there, would there? We clearly see that they were fighting this battle incorrectly and setting themselves up for failure and defeat. And oftentimes, this is us. This happens for a few different reasons, and I think it's important for us to identify them so we don't continue to lose these battles and live in a state of feeling defeated all the time. Because that's what happens. And sometimes, there, you know, you, you feel like the world is up against you, this life is up against you, and things are getting worse, or things are getting tougher. And yeah, sometimes they are, but the reality is it's because you're fighting with the wrong weapons. You're on the wrong battlefield. And so, let's look at the weapons that God has given us, that Jesus uses in this portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 4. These are our most powerful and effective ones. And if we don't identify them and don't know how to use them, then we're defeated before we even begin. So first I want to look at prayer. Prayer essentially is talking and listening to God. Talking and listening to God. That and is emphasized. Because I think a lot of times what happens is, is we think we just need to go to God and talk to Him. And we don't listen. See, prayer isn't just about going to God for help or to meet our needs because He's not a genie in a bottle. Right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love this. Paul says, Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, we spend so much time worrying instead of just bringing our request to God. He's saying, pray and trust God. And if you read further on in verse 13, it says, because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the result of bringing things to God and trusting Him. This is the result of talking to God first, knowing He's bigger than our problems, knowing He can overcome anything, and that in Him, we can overcome anything. God cares to hear about our wants and needs. He wants to know what pains us. But we're not just rubbing a lamp when we come to Him. We're seeking Him like a child seeks a parent in times of need. We're seeking His comfort, His wisdom, His guidance, and most specifically, His will for us. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's insane. How do you pray without ceasing? One, you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to breathe. <laughs> but what does that look like? And in my head and in my immature spirituality, I pictured somebody walking around all day or on their knees all day just talking to God and ignoring life. But that's not at all what this means. That's not at all. It doesn't mean to talk to him all day, but to acknowledge his presence all day. To listen to his voice all day. It means to walk with him step for step and remember that he never leaves us or forsakes us. That he's always with us. He's in us. And so when we pray without ceasing, we're communicating him without, with him without ceasing. What's happening is, is we're listening to. We're tuned in to God. And oftentimes I think that's one of our biggest mistakes is that we tune him out. We don't bring him into the workplaces. We don't bring him into family situations. We don't bring him into the doctor's office. We don't bring him into the bank. 
What ends up happening is, is we separate and compartmentalize everything, and Jesus only gets our leftover time. But that's not at all what Scripture tells us to do. <clears throat> we read throughout the New Testament that Jesus was a man of prayer. He retreated often to seek counsel with the Father. In Matthew 4, we see that discipline put to the test and what ceaseless prayer looks like. See, sometimes prayer is just us reciting God's promises, which Jesus does repeatedly to ward off the attacks of the enemy. And that's why it's so important that we understand and we know and we're in the word of God because it's written on our hearts. And when the enemy attacks and when times get tough, and when we feel overwhelmed and the battle rages, we can go back to these scriptures. We can go back to these promises and we can pray these promises in the knowledge that they're true, that there's power in them. And Jesus demonstrated that as we see in the end, the enemy fled. So let's get to the word of God, our next weapon in 2 Timothy verse two, verse 15, uh, verse, sorry, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. See, we're nourished by the word of God because it is our source of spiritual strength. Just as food strengthens the body, the word of God strengthens the soul. And if most of our battles take place in the spiritual realms and against these principalities that set themselves up against us, then it makes a whole lot of sense to fill ourselves with Scripture, doesn't it? In Matthew 4, we see how every time Satan attempts and advances on Jesus, that Jesus fends off those attacks with the Word of God. You know, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. And it's applicable here. He says, the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. And so I think oftentimes we keep that lion caged. Oftentimes we forget to let that lion out and do what that lion does. He devours. He overcomes. He wins. Jesus wields this weapon so fluidly, so gracefully, like a masterful swordsman. And so should we. Jesus knew the word. He was the word. And so as he masterfully wields it, you see him overcome the enemy at every turn. And so 2 Timothy says we should rightly handle that word of truth. So in order to do that, we need to know it. And that's not just going to happen by attending a church on Sunday. It's going to happen by attending Bible studies. It's going to happen by doing devotionals and reading every morning. It's going to happen by taking your free time or maybe cutting back on TV or social media and getting into the Word of God to get to know Him more. Because if all we do is complain that life is tough and this is overwhelming and this I can't handle this and woe is me, but we're not in the Word of God and we don't wield this weapon, well, of course we're going to feel that way. Of course we're going to be overwhelmed. The reality is, is that when we learn to wield it masterfully like our master does, does or did in that situation, we'll find the enemy flee from us as well. So let's look at fasting. Fasting is essentially removing things to find greater nourishment from God. 
Oftentimes, this is going to be food, but it can be any number of things that we rely on or even overuse on a daily basis, right? It's not an escape from our problems. And I think sometimes we are looking for retreat, and there is a time for that. But that's not what fasting is. The only retreat fasting is, is a retreat from the flesh. And it helps us to face our problems, not escape them. It's a powerful weapon in tearing down the strongholds in our lives. And we see that Jesus, before he even began his ministry, knew that he would need to retreat to the wilderness and face the enemy with this spiritual weapon to get ready for the larger battle that he would face. And that's what it says in verses 2 through 4. It says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was deprived physically. And the tempter came and he said to him, if you're the son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And what Jesus is doing is, is he's reminding us, he's reminding himself, and he's reminding the enemy here that the word and promises of God are just as important for our survival as food itself. Yeah. Through fasting, we can go deeper in this belief and experience the power of God's sustenance. And that's where we want to be. We don't want to just be sustained by worldly things. We don't want to just be sustained in the flesh. We want to be fortified in the spirit. And that comes sometimes by removing the things of the flesh so we can see clearer what God has and does in us. And then the last weapon I want to talk about is worship. You know, I think we, we, we sort of minimize the power in what worship is. You know, what it, what it is, is it's offering God his due praise and adoration. That's how it's defined. Offering God his due praise and adoration. But this isn't just done through singing on Sunday morning when the worship team plays. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's an awesome time to worship, and it's beautiful when everyone's here together in this room, and, and we're singing his praises together, a heavenly choir, if you will, and it is, it's, it's definitely a beautiful part of worship, but that's not all worship is. See, we can and we should worship God through prayer, our speech, our service, our reading, our thoughts, and all of our actions. You know, I always think of prayer as one of the greatest forms of worship. I'm kneeling down or I'm on my face or I'm in tears talking to the God of the universe, the creator of all things, admitting to him that he is bigger than me, that he is greater than everything, my problems, my struggles, and anything that comes my way. I'm bowing down and giving him his due adoration in my prayer. And I think that if we approach prayer with that reverence, it becomes more worshipful. In verses 8 through 11, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, All this I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus says to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And I love that. And the devil would flee. He fled. He left him. And then the angels come and attended him. Think about that for a minute. The devil had had enough. The devil gave up. He realized he was not going to win because 
you know, at that point, Jesus is hungry. He's deprived physically, right? He doesn't have the strength, probably mentally or emotionally. So all he can do at that moment is rely on the spiritual promises of God. And he trusts those things to push the enemy away. And the enemy knows these powerful truths. So what does he do? He flees. He leaves. And then these angels come alongside Jesus and they carry him. It's almost like a celebration. If you, if you think about it, like after a, a big championship game, you know, and they run out to the mound and they p- pick up the pitcher, or, you know, or, or they carry each other or dump Gatorade over, over the coach's head, you know. That's what I'm picturing is, is the angels coming along and, and just cheering him on, you know, in the heavenly realms and the spiritual world. And Jesus is just standing there victoriously, peacefully, hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's probably emaciated and tired and weak. But in the spirit, he's strong. And that's what we're called to. We're called whenever the enemy comes, whenever the the troubles of this world come, whenever trials come, whenever challenges come, to stand firm on the promises of God, to go to him in prayer, to fast, to worship, and to watch those things flee from our lives. Does that mean he's going to heal us from everything? No. But that means that those things will no longer have power over us will have power over them. And that's what we're called to. As I said, Jesus wields all these weapons so masterfully. And here he is in the wilderness, battling Satan himself, armed only with prayer, the word of God, fasting and worship. And the end result is the devil flees. God sends his angels. You can come on up. This is a great lesson for us. See, sometimes we face difficult things in life. And you know, we might pray. We might even go and read scripture, maybe seek some godly counsel. And those are good things. But I think sometimes what happens is is we don't experience the breakthrough we're looking for or the peace that we're looking for in those moments because we're not using all the weapons. Sometimes, you know, I, I think about You know, when Jesus says this demon can only be exercised through prayer and fasting. You know, sometimes we need to do more. We need to press in deeper. We need to use all the tools in our tool belt. So Jesus is showing us in this passage that we have everything we need to overcome anything and everything. When we go to God in prayer, lean on his word remove carnal distractions and worship worship him in spirit and truth then strongholds will crumble people will be set free addictions will be overcome marriages will be restored relationships will be restored families will be restored people will be transformed eternities will change battles will be won and the enemy will flee amen let's worship him a little bit more